unstoppable kick-ass confidence. Are you ready? Welcome to the Raw and Unscripted Show with Christopher Roush, where we help you overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. Now please welcome our host, Christopher Roush. Seriously, seriously, what is going on around here? Unstoppable kick-ass confidence. Are you ready? Welcome to the Raw and Unscripted Show with Christopher Roush, where we help you overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. Now please welcome our host, Christopher Roush. Christopher Roush. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Hey, happy new year. Happy 2021 from myself, the No Excuses Coast Coach, Christopher Roush, back here with another episode of Raw and Unscripted, your place where I help you overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. And man, am I excited. I'm excited. I'm excited because these earbuds are really pissing me off. But no, I'm really super excited about it being 2021. I'm super excited. I like new beginnings. I like fresh starts, even though it's not necessarily a fresh start, but perceptually you can sit there and say, okay, that's the end of something. And this is the beginning of something. And I'm just excited when it becomes January, I look back on the previous year and I usually go to what are the things that I accomplished? Where are the things that I grew and where do I need to continue to grow? And obviously 2020 was a massively uh, dynamic year for many, many, many of us. Um, and a lot of us grew from that and, and some of us didn't. And that's kind of a shame. I was just talking to somebody earlier today and she said she, you know, she's transformed and she's used all this time so much and so greatly to become the person that she wanted to be that she said she never had the time to become because she was working a full-time job and she was spending time in traffic. And she's super excited about all the things that she's accomplished and the things that she's going to accomplish. While some people have actually come to me and said, you know what, Chris, I wasted that time. I thought things were, I didn't think it was going to be this. I da, 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 da. excuse, excuse, excuse. So when you look at, you know, it being 2021, yes, the problems and everything else in the world are still going on. Of course, not, none of that stops. The financial situations don't stop. The unemployment doesn't, all that stuff continues going on. But really, whether it's January, whether it's July, whether it's December, you can always choose to have a new perspective on a situation that's not working for you. That's what I bring to you here on the Raw and Unscripted Show is like, how can we look at a failure or a fear or a mistake? And how can we change our perspective on that so that it works for us? How can we look at it from a situation of life is happening for us and not to us. And I just got to tell you, I'm excited about what's going on here in 2021, um, both with Raw and Scripted, this show, taking it to another level. My other show, uh, The Unfiltered Experience, which is a brand new relaunch. We're doing Friday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And of course, my other show, which I'm super excited about as well, Rainbows in Real Life with Pamela Aubrey. So, and my other unfiltered show is with uh, my buddy, Scott Goyette. So I am blessed beyond blessed to be um, in front of the camera, in front of the microphone, coaching people, doing what I love to do and being able to stay home with my son. It's absolutely amazing. And I just plan on bringing you guys more content, more information, more passion, more education, more whatever it is that's going to take all of us to move to that next level, right? That's what I bring to you every single week. And, and I'm so happy to have my guest on today. Uh, we were introduced last year and we had a brief conversation, but I followed her and we've had brief communications here over there here and there over uh, text and messaging. And uh, she's just an absolute powerhouse. You're gonna love her and she's gonna bring a lot of value to you. Kim Adele calling in from all the way over in England. How are you doing, darling? I'm doing really well, my lovely. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm fired up as you can tell because I, I start talking really super fast when I get really fired up. So I have to remember in my brain, Chris, slow down, slow down, 
slow down. So no, it's three in the morning over there, in, over there in the UK, huh? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not bad. I mean, obviously, we've just gone back into um, lockdown, and, and I think that's thrown a lot of people into a bit of a tailspin. But I guess, you know, I was talking to lots of people the last couple of days, and it's like, we've already done this. We've done it last year, and we will do it again. You've just got to focus on the things that you can control, and the rest of it works itself out. Absolutely. No, I, I, I just realized, uh, and I heard that from one of my friends, Ellie, she's over there in England and she's like, Oh, we're going to go back on. She was watching the United States to see if we were going to go back on national lockdown <clears throat> and that hasn't happened. But then I saw the UK news and then she sent me a message. She goes, we're on lockdown until February something or other. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least February, but I think, you know, the reality is most of us are expecting to be in, in this until at least March because there's a, uh, there's a delay rate to um, when they're getting the vaccines out. So there's going to be a three week delay past what they've suggested. So I think I think we're talking March realistically. Mm, God, it's it's absolutely ins it's absolute insanity when I think about it <clears throat> and what it's done to the world and what it's done to people. But at the same time, I look at it and, uh, and tell me if you agree with this. I look at it as like, yeah, this is a shit show right now. I mean, this is this is this is un unprecedented times. And my goal and my hope, and I've tell, told people this, like we look back at the history books, like, oh, when did slavery end? And when all the major accomplishments that happened in our past happened because we went through some shit and we got, oh, we got woke, you know, in a, in a, in a 2021 term. Um, and I look, I tell people like, you know, maybe in 20, 30, 40 years, we're going to be in the history books. Like, man, look at what those guys went through in 2020 and look everything, how everything changed. Look how equality came around. Equanimity came around. Look at all the different fashionable things that came out of there for people and, and for their opportunities. Do you see it that way? Yeah. So I think, you know, for, for me, I've always looked at this and said, well, you know, we say it's unprecedented times and it is, we've not been through this before, but if you look back at history, we've been through lots of other things and every, every um, generation has had to do something, whether that's a war or whether it's um, another illness, whether it was AIDS, there's always been a something. And I think it's nature's way of getting us to rethink and refocus. And it struck me midway through last year that, you know, we often know over here, I don't know if this, the saying translates, but over here we say, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, we all have 2020 vision. And yet there we were smack bang in the middle of 2020, all put on a global pause. It made you wonder whether or not actually what was happening was that nature was telling us that we needed to rethink, we needed to reframe because we couldn't carry on the way we were. And I think it did give us all that opportunity to realise how much we've got to appreciate, how much we've got to be grateful for. Um, because we sometimes forget to do that because we're so busy chasing the what we haven't got yet. Mm. Oh, I love that, Kim. Tell me how important it is for us to really focus on gratitude versus focusing on what we want. Uh, for me, gratitude is massive because actually once you start to be grateful for things, you end up with even more things to be grateful for. And, you know, I'm very fortunate. I live a completely blessed life, um, which I know makes some people laugh when they know my backstory. But I do believe my entire life is blessed. And actually, once you start to take that time to, to be grateful for things, then you find more and more things to be grateful for. And one of the things me and my little girl do, and, and I know she's similar age to, to your little boy, so she's four, but every morning on the way to nursery and on the way home from nursery, we do the what are we grateful for today? Yes. Um, and actually, it's really changing her outlook as well. It's making her a much happier, much um, much more appreciative little girl. Um, and that's got to be a good thing, hasn't it? If we could all do a little bit more of that, imagine what a nicer place we'd live in. Oh, don't even get me started, Kim. Don't even get me started. I love that. I mean, the beauty of showing your kids about gratitude, that's something, amazingly enough, I just reintroduced in our house during dinner time. 
for a while there, they were talking her and her mom who is still with us. We're talking about politics. And I was like, you know what, what was good about your day? Just reintroducing that. What was good about your day? What was great about your day? And, and, and determining that focus so that our, our kids can see that like, oh, wow, mom and dad get together for you know two hours a night and they all and they just bitch about what's going on. And then they go to bed. But you know, talk about what's good and what's golden. What are you going to be doing tomorrow? And gratitude. I agree with you totally, Kim. Gratitude for me is just massive. It's like, you know, there's been times in my life where I've literally had nothing and been in the backseat of a station wagon and be like, well, at least I'm not out in the cardboard box. Yeah. You know, at least I have my mom and not by myself. At least I have animal, you know, always looking at things from, from a gratitude standpoint, it blows my mind when people are so ungrateful for the things that they have and the opportunities they have and the technology they have these days. It just absolutely blows my mind. But you said something, something really, uh, something interesting about your backstory. What, uh, give us a little illumination on your backstory, if you will. <clears throat> before you do that, before you do that, because I know you got to think about that because it's so far in the distant past. Um, just want to welcome you guys all here to the Ron and Scripted Show. For some reason, normally I have people like posting comments. Somebody posts something because nobody's posted anything yet. Normally people are jumping in saying, hey, what's going on? So I'm just like, is uh, is everything working okay? So if you guys are watching this, please comment. Of course, as always, engage with us. Ask us questions. That's what we do this live. It's one of the biggest reasons why I want to do it live is to have that excitement and that engagement. But by all means, please, uh, Kim, tell us a little bit about your backstory. Uh, yeah. So, so, um, and actually, as we were chatting before I came on, I'm just in the process of writing a book about it. And the, um, so the title of my book is, uh, you couldn't make this shit up three divorces, a stalker and an evil in a critic. Um, and I guess that is kind of part of it. So if I were, to summarise my life, I have had three divorces. I have had a stalker. I've had a miscarriage. I've uh, got stuck in a hurricane, two car accidents, three potentially life-threatening illnesses, um, and it's now a single mum. So life gives you the odd plot twist, but I also managed to navigate from hairdresser to corporate CEO. Um, so for every time it gives you something that is difficult, it also gives you something that's amazing. And I think everything in the world everything that happens to you is either a lesson, a blessing or both. And once you can open your heart to that and say, you know, if it's something that's going wrong, what are you teaching me? What is it that I'm supposed to be learning now? And don't get me wrong, sometimes that can be really hard. I remember in one particularly melodramatic moment where I was that lost and that broken that I didn't know how to breathe, which clearly I did know how to breathe and I'm still here breathing, but that's how it felt at the time. And yet, you just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And before you know it, you've moved forward and you've learned something and you've come out stronger, I think, the other side. Oh, absolutely. You got you to gotta come out. Whoops. Got to come out stronger the other side. Um, just trying to work on why we don't have our comments right here. Um, no, that's that's massive. I would just for shits and giggles, tell us the title of the book one more time. Because when you told me right now, I was like, oh, my God, that's fucking brilliant. So it's called You Couldn't Make This Shit Up, Three Divorces, A Stalker and an Evil in a Critic. Mm. Yeah, I love that. What has been the most interesting part about writing the book? Because I think, you know, I'm writing my book about my backstory as well. And there's been some interesting, interesting things that have happened. I'm just curious what the process has been for you going back and revisiting some of that uh, very traumatic material. I guess dealing through the pain, because actually that's one of the things that we don't do very well as, as human beings. We get through something that was horrendous and then we do our best to ignore it to pretend it hasn't happened to just move on and actually you have to go back and you have to 
deal with the pain you have to go back and face the pain again to make sure that you've learned the lesson and you know I'm a big believer if you don't learn the lesson life will repeat it for you which is probably why I've got three divorces <laughs> it's like you're just not learning you're not learning um so you do have to go back and and for me the the writing the book has been it's been a really great very cathartic experience because I spent so many years going well I can't write a book I mean my life's a bit dull it's just it's just the ordinary life of an ordinary girl trying to navigate the world. And people were like, no, seriously, you couldn't make up how much stuff you've been through. And I was like, really? I just thought this was normal. I thought this is how everybody's life pans out. And there, but for the grace of God, go all of us. So you kind of you know, look at what other people are going through and think, well, you know, back to your piece about gratitude. At least I've not got to deal with that. You know, at least I've only had this to deal with. At least I've only had these challenges that were that were mine to deal with that I needed to learn from and I guess that's the that's the beauty of writing a book is you have to go back and look at all of those look at all of those traumas and and actually also look at some of the ones that I'd not been brave enough to face so so mm -hmm. I think I'd gone back in the last year and looked at most of them but there was there was one, one that I, uh, which was my miscarriage, which I'd not gone anywhere near. It was too raw. It was too painful. Um, and I decided, actually, do you know, you've got to go and do that, too, because if looking at your own pain and sharing your story allows you to um, help somebody else who's going through the same thing or is facing facing something similar, then it's worth dealing with your own pain because I think that's what we're all here to do. We're all here to help each other. Um, and sometimes the way you can help is to share how you got through something that at the time you didn't think you could get through. Bravo, bravo, bravo. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I'm telling everybody all the time, take your trash and make it your treasure. Oh, yeah. nobody wants to hear about that. Nobody, I'm like, you overcame X obstacle or X situation, and you're here to talk about it and you're successful and happy. Yes, you should go back and share that with so many people. All of us should be sharing that stuff. I mean, I know for me telling people that I was homeless and dug through trash cans and was a seventh grade dropout in the early, I would have never mentioned that. I was like, oh, I did this and I I would make up vacations. Oh, what was your best vacation? Oh, when the family did this, I made all that bullshit up because I was so petrified of what people would think of me. And then I started sharing my story a little bit and people were like, oh my God, I didn't know that. I went through this, you know, and da, da, da. well, you could do this and just started helping people. So I think that's magnificent. But you had, um, I'm, I'm curious to know this, when you said three divorces and you had to learn your lesson, was it the same lesson you had to learn out of each marriage or were there different lessons from each marriage that you learned? Uh, so there were different lessons. Um, but I think my my ultimate lesson was I didn't like myself. I didn't like myself at all. Um, and therefore I kept going into relationships that weren't going to work because um, nobody else can love you until you learn to love yourself or at least like yourself, at least not recoil in horror every time you have to see yourself in the mirror. Um, so that for me, I guess, was a, was a massive part of my journey and it probably underpinned my imposter syndrome that I've faced for, for many years. And I know what you mean, Chris, when you say, you know, you don't want to share your vulnerability with people. I spent 26 years thinking, oh my God, if they find out I'm just a hairdresser, I've just got an MVQ, they're going to like throw me off the board. <laughs> the answer I go, oh my God, we put the hairdresser on the board, get her off. Um, <laughs> and it, it didn't happen, clearly. Um, but I believed it would. And every day I lived in fear that I'd get found out to be a fraud, to be a failure, to be not good enough. And I think that for me was probably one of the big lessons as you, as you come along, which is we have these I am statements that we have from when we're kids. And then we look for all of the evidence that proves us right. And we ignore any evidence that proves us wrong. Mm -hmm. um, 
because it, we get so wedded to our story that we start to believe it for ourselves. You know, I, I do often say to people, be careful that you don't end up smoking your own dope, that you believe like, you know, your, your own rubbish so much that you, it's become it's become your addiction. And I think that is what we do. We, we kind of hang on to that. And anything that looks like we might be wrong, there might be an alternate view. We're like, we'll just ignore that. Just mm -hmm. I'm really happy in the fact that I'm hopeless and I'm just a hairdresser and I'm just this. But everybody on the planet, in my opinion, is vulnerable about something. There's a something that they hope nobody finds out about. And the minute you share your vulnerability, you create a safe space for them to share a little bit of theirs. And I think the point is about how do you share your vulnerability without losing your credibility? So how do you share that you've been through something that made you vulnerable, but that you learned from it and you came out stronger? And as a result of that, then actually you you can give something back. You can help somebody else who's facing that go, I know, I, I know how it feels right now. I know how daunting it can be to think I just don't know how to get out of this but I promise if you just keep going if you ask for the right support if you talk to people that have been through it you'll find a path through and then before you know it you'll look back and go oh look I managed that mm -hmm. and then I've had some horrendous coping mechanisms over the years I remember with, with the um the the last marriage breakdown which unfortunately happened you know, when my little girl wasn't quite one and I was facing surgery and it was all a bit of a disaster. And I remember being I remember that story. You like went back to work two days later. It was. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, um, <clears throat> so my husband admitted his affair on the, uh, on the Saturday as my little girl turned one on the Thursday, I'd given my job up on the Friday, the day before to focus on my stepdaughter and my little girl. So all of a sudden I was an overnight 44 year old unemployed single mum and was like, oh dear, it's not really what I do. got planned for the year, but hey, this is where we are. Um, and that was the, the Saturday. And I remember on the, the Monday going and doing my Myers-Briggs training because I'd already got it booked. And then on the Friday, I went to um, talk to some people about a coaching contract. And I sat there and, and the guy was like, well, we're not gonna go with coaching. <laughs> I remember thinking, really? You could have told me that when I was in York before I like made it all the way down to London for this. But it didn't kind of work out. And he said, no, he said, but what we'd like to do is um, we're going to change up the senior team and we'd like you to come in and run it for us for, for three months. <laughs> I was sitting there thinking, OK, yeah, I can do that. I mean, I've never done public sector. I've never done exec recruitment. But hey, how hard can it be? And I need the job. So let's let's make sure that we are working on this. So. But I did say to him that the thing I just need to let you know is I've got two days worth of prearranged training that I need to go on because um, I'm delivering it. So you can have anything else. You can't have those two days. And it was like, great. Can you start Wednesday? I was like, absolutely. So I started on the Wednesday and the following Tuesday, I went in for my surgery. They let me out on the Wednesday and I went back to work on the Thursday and never let anybody know. Um, I mean, I did make some concessions because my surgeon was like, you're supposed to be resting. And I was like, well, I, you know, I won't carry my laptop. I'll just, <laughs> just carry my handbag. Um, just a little bit. Yeah, I'll just take a book and that. I'm not supposed to carry anything. I'm, I'm there. Um, but I guess you, you, you just try and get through. And I, I remember during that period being so uncertain what to do. Um, but determined I needed to keep going for my little girl. She, you know, she didn't ask to be born. She needed me to, to still be there. I had to stay strong for her. But I worked out that actually if I started crying at eight o'clock at night and I finished crying at two o'clock in the morning, nobody'd know. 
was brilliant. Um, so I did it every night, every night, because it was between feeds and it was long enough um, that actually you didn't look like you'd been slapped in the face with a wet kipper in the morning to get to work. And a wet, a wet, who? A wet who? Like a, a wet kipper. What's that for us? Us, us USA um, people. <laughs> um, but you kind of like... I, I guess, you know, you kind of were just there going, well, if this gets me through the day, if this means that actually I can spend the rest of the time looking like nothing in the world bothers me, that, you know, people were expecting me to lead this organisation, to look for leadership. They really didn't need to know that I was a gibbering wreck that was crying every night uh, and whose relationship had just broken down. Um, and it wasn't until I left um, that I mentioned to a couple of people that, you know, and only a couple of them that I'd had surgery whilst I was there and that my marriage had actually broken down a week before I joined. Um, and everybody's view was, we assumed that had happened months ago because <laughs> you're always so well pulled together. You always were so happy and so cheerful. And I said, like, that's what you paid me for. <laughs> you didn't pay me to come in and look miserable as sin and go, oh God, you know, life's just difficult right now. You kind of paid me to come in and say, there's always a way through. There's always a way to lead something and if we look for it if we look for the good in things we'll find it um and i think that's what you've even when things are really really tough try and find the good in it try and find the positive you know for me the, the positive was yes i was going through the a horrendous breakdown and and the hurt and the betrayal but actually if i'd not been in the relationship i wouldn't have had my little girl now i spent 43 years thinking i couldn't have children so there is nothing in the world that means more to me than my little girl. So you're like, do you know what? Without without the rain, you don't get a rainbow. So if I didn't have that relationship, I wouldn't have my daughter. Um, and I will always be eternally grateful. And I think everything that you do in life, you've got to go back and say, I'd do it again. I would go back and relive my life exactly as I've lived it. And it wouldn't change. I would still have three divorces and still have a stalker. Uh, you know, I'd still have all of those things, but they made me who I am. And it's taken me a long time to realize that, you know, I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm quite proud of who I am. Damn, 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 Kim. I absolutely could sit here and listen to you all day. I mean, you're just you you say everything that I think and I feel at the same time. It's just like it's like that kindred spirit of, of yeah, we've been through some stuff, but hey, you know, what can we do? What can we take responsibility for? And I love how that you did that. You're like, and I love how you said that and, and put didn't put the onus on everybody else to save you and oh, what's going on with Kim? And, oh, she's had three You're just like, no, this is what you paid me for. This is who I'm going to represent. This is about integrity. This is about my values and my morals and my ethics. And listen, you're paying me a lot of money not to come in and like, oh, I mean, we could have a bad day and everything. Um, but I really applaud you in the fact of just being that tenacious and, and, and knowing obviously what your why is, your daughter is your why, right? Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, she, she is now. Um, but I guess it's always been my, it's always been my approach to life. I remember before I had my little girl um, being in one particular company and things were, things were ropey. And you know, my marriage had just broken down. Life outside of work was a bit of a disaster. But inside of work, the company was in real dire straits. I got asked to join the organization um, just after they'd been given the largest fine in UK history. They'd been shut down for mis-selling. We had the press camped on the doorstep. We were facing insolvency. It was a it was a tough gig. Um, but you were kind of there going, actually, what they need me to do is, is create some stability, is to help people start to feel more secure. But also part of my role in that three and a half years was to do five major redundancy programs. 
I took the organization from 1,800 people to 450. Wow. Which was horrendous. Um, do it. Being responsible for standing up in front of people and telling them that they've not got a job is heartbreaking. Um, but where we get this wrong, where organizations get this wrong, is we make it about us as the leader. So you kind of look at it and you go, oh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to go and, and tell people they're made redundant. I feel a bit guilty because if I'd led in a better way, maybe we wouldn't be in this position. If I'd have done something different, maybe I could have led us to a better to a better place. So there's some guilt. And then you know that your message is not going to go down well. Nobody got excited about a redundancy program ever. <laughs> me, me, how do you make me redundant? So you know that your message is going to go down badly and you know that actually um, you feel a bit of guilt. So you start to feel under attack and you make it very much about you. And yet the reality is the people that are being made redundant couldn't do anything about it. Um, and so I remember standing up and doing the first one and saying, the first thing I need you all to realise is this is not about you. But let me explain what I mean by that. It is happening to you. You are going to have to deal with the message that I've got to deliver. The reason I say it's not about you is it's not because you're not great people. It's not because you're not amazing workers. It's not because I wouldn't love to have you work for me for the rest of your life. It's because I couldn't lead us better. I couldn't put us in a different position. And my job as the leader is to save as many jobs as I can. And I'm sorry to say, I can't save them all. Um, you said that out loud? Uh-huh. Yeah, so yeah, I stood in front of all oh, of people. Honestly? Um, in front of people, that's honestly. amazing. <laughs> but but wow. I said, the reason I need you to know that is if not you take this into your future, you'll decide that you weren't good enough, that we didn't want you, that you weren't a good worker, that you weren't a good employee, and it will make it your reality. So you will take that into your next job and you will feel less confident. But the reality is the people that get made redundant couldn't do anything to change the oil tanker that was the organisation. There was nothing they could do. And organisations that downsize are very short-sighted because you downsize because you expect to upsize later. If not, you'd just close. So if I know I want to grow again, then I want you to come back. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because you were good employees. Because if you weren't good employees, I'd have had you on a performance improvement plan. <laughs> so, so the reality is you were you were good employees. Don't let redundancy make you feel that you're any less than you are. But I think the challenge is, as leaders, we've got to get out there and get in front of that. You've got to stand in front of it and say, I used to go every single week and, and sit down with them and say, right, come on, tell me, tell me how you're feeling. Because um, let's go through your facts and stories. Because in the human brain doesn't like absence of fact. And when it has an absence of fact, it creates a story. The story is always far more fascinating than the reality ever was. Um, but people get really hung up on that. They get really stuck into the story and they believe it to be true. So instead, it would be like, right, let's chat about how you're feeling right now. Let's deal with whether it's anger, whether it's frustration, whether it's acceptance, whether it's a, where we're getting to. But let's be really clear on what's a fact and what's a story. Because facts are your friends and stories are only going to eat you um, because they're, they're not true. Um, and I remember on the last day, um, people coming up and giving me a hug. And I was like, please don't hug me. It was me that did this. <laughs> like, you do know it was me that did this. Um, and they said, yeah, but you treated us with respect. You turned up every week and you, you spent time with us. You know, I was really proud to say that 98% of the people had got jobs at the point that they, we closed. Um, because we <clears throat> spent loads of time going out to uh, local councils, local businesses and saying, if you're looking for good people, these are good people. They are not in this situation because of them. 
they're in this situation because of us. And I could have said, we're not even in this situation because of me. I got bought in after it had been shut down, but that's not the point. People need to be able to look in the eye of someone who's making the decision. They need to be treated with the respect of looking in the eye of somebody who's on that board who said, I've made this choice. If you want to get angry, get angry here because you deserve that. You deserve the right to be spoken to by somebody who made the decision. Um, and I don't get me wrong, I had people, I had one lady effing and jeffing at me. I had a few, actually, to be fair. Um, and I remember saying to them, like, I get it. I, you know, if I were in your shoes, I'd be equally upset. I can I can understand how that's how you feel. I promise you, that's not what's happened, but I can see how how you'd feel that way. And I remember her coming up to me afterwards and saying, I'm, I'm so sorry. I said, please don't apologize. Mm. Do not apologize. I delivered a really, really tough message that you had to deal with and you were angry I'd be angry you're thinking about how do you now deal with your family and your bills and your responsibilities I, I get it my heart breaks for you so please don't get upset that you and she went well I swore at you and I said, it's fine mm. <laughs> survive um because you were you were angry I said don't waste any of your energy worrying about me it was a bad day um and you just dealt with it the best way you knew how. And that's how all of us are getting through life. And then I remember getting a phone call from, because there was four sites. So I was closing our best performing site. And I remember getting a phone call from my, um, from one of the other sites who were like, oh, I've got a real problem. Can't get, can't get them back on the phones. That's all right. I'm on my way. So I drove back up the country. I remember walking into this, walking into this room um, and just looking at them all and saying, I hope you're thoroughly ashamed of yourselves, every single one of you. So I've just come from the office that we've closed where those people have got to go home tonight and tell their family they don't know how they're going to pay the bills at Christmas. And they're currently on the phone taking the calls of the customers that are going to be your job in a few weeks' time because you've not lost your job today. They've lost theirs. And if you actually got back on the phone... I could let them go home and deal with the news a lot faster. And instead, you've sat in here feeling sorry for them and you've come up with a whip round for their leaving due. Brilliant. I'm sure that's going to add huge amounts of value. Now, I suggest you get back on the phone, get out of my sight. <laughs> At which point, they did. They kind of all screwed off. Um, and I remember the, the lady from HR going, I can't believe you said that. I said, I can't believe you didn't. I can't believe you didn't. I said, this is not about... This is not about treating people with, without respect. I said, but they needed to understand that actually what they were doing was unacceptable. The people that really needed them today to step up and do their job were the ones that had lost their job. And yet those people had actually turned around and got straight back on the phone, even though they'd been told they were being made redundant, and they carried on and did their work. I said, that speaks volumes about the people. I said, and that's what made today really hard. Closing yeah. a site where they were the best performing, where significantly the best performing. Um, and you could look at that and go, why did you close that site, Kim? <laughs> it's like all of the sites, <laughs> why that one? And the reality is it had to be that one because it was the only one where there was a break in the lease, where it actually was purely a call centre, which meant that we didn't have IT and head office and those things. So I could unfortunately, recover a huge amount of costs from that because we could give the building up and we could dilapidate the, the um, services in it. So we could really create 
a massive impact financially for the organization that I couldn't achieve from any other office. And that for me was always why it was really important that people knew it wasn't about them. Because it was like, actually, if we're picking on who was the most, who was the most high performing people, none of you would be in this position. Mm -hmm. um, and this is why it's worth knowing, you know, when, when you are made redundant, it's not about you. It's happening to you, but it's not about you. And, and make sure you keep that definition separate. And then I remember talking to my boss and he was like, oh, Kim, I've had such a rubbish day. And I was like, you really haven't. <laughs> and he went, well, no, clearly you've had a really rubbish day. And I was like, no, I really haven't. My rubbish day was yesterday. Yesterday when I had to go home knowing there was nothing on earth I could do to change the fact that today I had to go and tell those poor souls that they weren't mm. going to have a job at the end of the year. <clears throat> that was horrendous. Today, the worst bit was knowing that the minute I stopped talking, they had to live with what it was I had to say. But at that point, it wasn't my bad day. It was their bad day because mm -hmm. my mind was over. The worst bit was out there. You've said the awful thing and now you've just got to deal with um, how people are reacting to that. And you've got to watch the devastation that you've created because that's what you've done. You've created devastation and you've got to be there to hold their hand and mm -hmm. treat them with kindness because Yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, it's horrible to see the impact you've had on somebody and to realise that you've get put them in that place of doubt, in that place of despair where they don't know how how to move forward, really. The worst thing you can do then is to step away because actually they need you to stay there, even though it's uncomfortable. And just like anything in life that goes wrong, it goes wrong. It all goes hideously wrong. And actually what you need to do is step into it, not step away from it. Even though yeah. it's painful, even though it hurts, you've got to step up and go, but I'm going to keep dealing with it. right? Because actually for every step forward that I take, no matter how small it is, I change my vantage point. And when I change my vantage point, I can see something else that might get me out of the situation that might help me to learn. And I know over the years that I've had friends of mine say, I don't know if you're just incredibly strong or incredibly stupid. <laughs> I've had a lot of people tell me that too. I've had a lot of people like, Chris, you're either stupid or tenacious. I'm like, well, a little bit of both, but that's okay. But one thing I want to key in on what you're saying, Kim, and thank you for sharing that. That's, I mean, that's truly such a magnificent representation of who you are as a person, as a leader, and that your values and your morals and integrity are intact. Um, I've seen a lot of leaders not handle the situations like that at all, you know, and it's, it's just blow, blow my mind. So thank you for being that person. One thing you were, you were talking in there a little bit before, and I've been keying in a lot for myself is analyzing what my best is, right? You know, you sit there and you, we, we come at the end of the day and like, Oh, I did the best I could. Okay. Well, what was, what, what's your best? And I started thinking about it a couple of years ago because I gave myself that excuse. I'm like, well, Chris, you did the best you could. And all of a sudden I caught myself and I'm like, cause I'm always my own coaching client. I'm sure the same way. Yeah. I was like, really? You did your best, Chris? Really? Let's call you, let's call you on your shit. And immediately I knew I'm like, that was bullshit. I didn't do my best. And so ever since then, I've been infatuated with really discovering what is someone's best and how we can adapt our perception to, to push ourselves further. Like I think about David Goggins. Are you familiar with David Goggins? Yes. Yeah. So I, I studied him for like three or four months. I was like, what is this guy doing? How did he get that mindset to go from one degree to the other degree? Um, so what is your definition of best? And what do you, what would you recommend to people to find what their true best is? Um, so it's so a great question. Um, I think for me, my, my best has always been 
I, I, I seek in life to always leave things better than I found them. And I remember my uh, dad teaching me this many, many years ago, which was um, every day say to yourself, if this were my money, would I pay myself for today? Ooh. I earned it. And if the answer is no, make darn sure that tomorrow you go in and earn today's money as well as tomorrow's money. <laughs> So you kind of go in and, and look at those and, and always recognize, you know, that we learn most from growth and we grow best through our pain. We grow through the things that we got wrong. And I think one of the challenges we get is it's not the mistake that defines us. It's what we do with the mistake that defines us. So, you know, at the end of every day I do and I get my clients to do this as well. Ha anybody that has um, that I've touched. So anybody who's gone, oh, thanks for that, or that was really useful, or oh, that was interesting, because that can be helpful. Then what have I learned? So what have I learned today? And that can be something that I did that went better than I thought. It very often can be something that didn't go as well as I thought. Um, and therefore, what have I learned from that? And as a result of it, what am I taking away from today into tomorrow? Um, because it's a great way of making sure that you can see how far you're coming. And actually, I think as long as we keep growing, um, then we can do the best in the moment. But our, I believe our purpose in life is to keep bettering the previous moment. So the only thing that we are here to do is be better than the, the person we were yesterday. Um, and therefore, our best will continue to get better. And I think you've got to be, you've got to call yourself out on that. And having spent, God, 40 odd years with an evil, evil inner critic. I mean, I I had, I was just not a very nice lady. <laughs> so, others. <laughs> so externally, <clears throat> I used to be, and still am, I think, you know, at least I try to be externally really kind see the good in people want to help people be the best that they can be um i've got a real desire to make people feel special to feel good about themselves because you know we are all special but a large part of that was driven by the fact that i was horrendous to myself i thought if anybody could ever see some of the language some of the words some of the way that i spoke to myself that they just realized i'd got an ugly heart <laughs> because you can't possibly say that to another human being um and I never would but I would say it to myself and for a lot of years that's a really tough place to be and I know a lot of people suffer from the same thing which is you know that voice we use on ourselves is heartbreaking and then for me my breakthrough came actually when I um was writing a letter to my little girl the first time that I was facing surgery when I didn't wasn't certain that I was going to make it. And I thought, God, I've waited 43 years to have her. And now I might not be able to see her grow up. So how do I give her all of the advice I want to give her? How do I let her know how loved she is, how how great she is? And I was like, how do you even write that letter? So I wasn't really sure where to start. So I was like, I'm going to go and look at her. That was help. crying right now thinking about that. <laughs> so I, I went up and, and I remember poking my head around the door and watching her laid on the back, snoring away dreaming about a day and then it suddenly hit me and it hit me that the voice we talk to ourselves becomes the voice we teach our children to talk to themselves and the world stopped or maybe it was just my heart because I remember thinking I never want her never want her for one second to talk to herself the way that I've talked to myself over the years 
And I realized that you can't just say, don't do it, love, because kids don't learn by what we say. They learn by how we are, by what we do, by how we show up. And therefore, if I want that not to be the voice in her head, I have to make sure it's not the voice in mine. And that's taken me on a three-year journey of revisiting every painful thing that's ever happened to me, really learning the lesson and saying, actually, can I can I get to a place where I can look in the mirror and not recoil in horror? And it's taken four years, but yeah, I can now. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, now I always say this as a girl, I'm, I'm sure there's probably a similar one for, for a guy, but the one thing that you know as a girl is, I've yet to find a woman who can put my scar on without looking at themselves in the mirror. So I know every day I'm going to have to get up and look at myself in the mirror because nobody in the world needs to see me without my scar. Um, mm. So you know you're going to have to do that. So actually, you've got to get to a stage where you can go, I can do that and be proud of the person looking back. Um, so in everything that I do now, I go to myself, how is this going to feel when I look at myself in the mirror tomorrow? How's this going to land? Yeah. How pretty are these words going to be on my lips if I said them out loud? And if they're not that going to be that pretty, don't say them. They're going to add no value. Whether that's you're saying them internally to yourself or externally to somebody else, if they're not going to look pretty, don't do it. Um, that doesn't mean to say you can't have difficult conversations. It doesn't mean to say you can't say when people are doing it incorrectly. But I think you've got to start with the fact that people's intentions are honourable. So, so I don't think people intend to get it wrong. Don't get up in the morning and go, and I'd be really shit at my job today. <laughs> Nobody does that. So I know I'll really irritate everybody. doesn't mean to say you don't go in and have a bad day. doesn't mean to say you don't go in and you make a mistake. But right. the intention is honourable. The difference often is the impact doesn't match the intention. So having that conversation where you talk to me about, I think what you're trying to do is this. I think what you're trying to achieve is that. And go, yeah, 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 that's what I'm doing. Right brilliant because that's exactly what I need you to do what we need to chat about is what you're trying to do and what you're actually doing they're not quite aligned so how do we work together to help you get those aligned because that goal is an amazing goal you immediately become their ally they realize that you don't think that they're stupid that you don't think that they were trying to get it wrong that you don't think that they're not a good person and that's what we're all rallying against and I guess you know the thing I've learned in life is that people don't hurt you on purpose and I, and I say that, have you had, you know. Considering your book title. Considering <laughs> <laughs> you know my book title. Um, and they won't hurt you on purpose. You should put a little. Yeah, people, you know, people have done some fairly horrendous things, but they don't hurt you on purpose. They're dealing with their own pain. And the truth is they don't even consider you. You just become collateral damage. Yeah. But we make it about us because we are the center of our own universe. So the minute somebody hurts you, it's about us and we go and share that. It's like, well, you made me feel like this, you made me feel like that. And how often have we done that? And then somebody's gone, oh my goodness. Um, like, and you get in this really awkward argument and that's because they were dealing with their own pain. They were, well, they were, you know, they were wallowing in it. So this is my pain and I'm happy in it. And now, oh my God, now you're in tears and you're you're all over the place. I've got to deal with you. And actually, you know, I haven't got I haven't got bandwidth to deal with you because I'm dealing with me. Um this is so cool. so yeah, so this is like kind of conflict. Whereas kind of I look at it and go, well, you're clearly already in pain. So I won't add my pain to it. Um I'm just going to take my pain and deal with it separately because it because it will be fine. And I remember my, my last husband saying to me, um, He's such a robot. I remember at the time thinking, 
I'm not really sure that right now is is the time to be telling me I'm a robot. I mean, to give you the context of what was happening, it was um, six weeks after he'd admitted his affair, four weeks after my surgery, and he rang me up because he'd got in uh, bother with work. And his oh, job. I remember you told me this too. I think you told me this. And, uh, and he said to me, he's like, I really need your help. Um, and I was like, okay, I'll help. Um, you know, you're the father of my daughter. Of course I'll help. I, I don't, you know, I, you don't leave anybody um, needing help. Um, and so I, I kind of helped. And then um, there was only one occasion where I said to him, like, could you do me a favor? I, I'm going to hang up. I just need, I just need 10 minutes and then I will call you back. And he was like, well, I don't understand what's wrong. And I said, well, you know that I'm a big believer in, I can't choose the way somebody be behaves towards me, but I can choose my response. And right now you've just delivered all of the evidence that proves that when I thought you were having affairs, whilst I was facing mammograms and MRI scans, and you told me it was all in my head and that I was gonna be the one that ruined the marriage, that actually you were having the affairs. Um, so right now I'm really struggling to pick a response I'm going to be proud of. So what I would like to do is, hang up, I'm gonna take 10 minutes, I'm gonna regroup and find find my space and then I'll come back and I'll help you. Uh, and I remember him saying, oh my God, you're such a robot. And I was like, now's not a good time. That's <laughs> not a good time. Oh, oh he said that? Now's uh -huh. not a good time for you to be a robot to save his ass? Uh -huh. To question oh. how robotic I am. Oh. Um, but I will, be, I will be, you know, I'll be back in touch in 10 minutes. And in 10 minutes I was, I was back in touch. And I was, and he was like, but you compartmentalize. And I went, because sometimes you have to. Um, because actually what you've got to look at is, is adding my pain into this right now going to help? Mm -hmm. Is it going to allow us to have a good conversation? No, because what, ha what happens in reality is we all have those moments where we get into a conversation that becomes a little bit tricky. And there's an amazing book that I would recommend. It's called um, Crucial Conversations. Ooh. And it talks about the fact that when you're in that moment, what happens is you either respond with silence or violence. So either you become very silent, this is definitely me, and you back away from the conversation and go, I just won't join in. Maybe it'll go away. I'm not doing it. Or at least I'm not going to get annoyed. I'm not going to get angry. I'm just going to hope that, you know, a fire without oxygen. It doesn't get any worse. That's what you're kind of hoping for. You're hoping it doesn't get any worse. Because, you know, you don't add oxygen to fire, it's going to die out. Um, so that was always been my response. But the reality is you're not getting what you need out of that because you, you've still got <clears throat> the answers you're looking for. Um, or you respond with violence. And I don't mean you actually get violent, but you possibly get more aggressive or more assertive with what it is that you're saying. And it never goes very far, does it? And the reality is in, in both situations, one or both of you is coming at it from a position of fear. So you're fearful of something that's going to happen. And actually, instead, if you can create a safe space where you share a little bit of your vulnerability, like, you know, I'd rather stick my head in the oven than have this conversation. However, I know that we need to. So I'm a little bit vulnerable. I'm completely committed to finding something that works for both of us. Can we now talk about it? You create a slightly safer space for people. But I think it is... So maybe that just maybe that doesn't make me robotic, um, but but I guess in in life you sometimes you've got to go. Actually, emotion doesn't always help, and and I spent a lot of years dealing with people where they go, oh, it's all right because I'm really passionate. 
or you know i've just got just got that sense of humor and i'm like hmm actually what happens is you make really really valid points but because you've done it overly emotional or overly sarcastic or overly flippant everybody can ignore the valid point you're making because you put too much emotion into it so it's just you being you um and then you get really frustrated because your very valid point was ignored but it was ignored because of how you delivered it not because of what you delivered and and you know there used to be an old adage didn't they which was pick your um pick your battle wisely yeah um i don't think it's the right i don't think it's the right one so for me personally it's not about picking your battles it's about picking your battlefield where you choose to have the conversation and how you choose to have it determines how successful you're going to be. Because as an example, if you shout out your boss in front of a room of people, they are <laughs> probably gonna, they're probably going to shut you down because you might not be 100% certain of what it is that they're saying. And that they don't want the entire team to feel the same way. Whereas if instead you go, hmm, I'm not sure I completely agree, think that in your head and go could we possibly have five minutes offline because i'd just like to understand that better um you've then got a chance to talk to them in a much safer space where they don't feel like they're on show and everybody's looking at it then go can i just seek to understand a little bit more because this is my opinion because i think this is the thing as human beings irrelevant of who we are irrelevant for what we do we all want three things in life we want to be listened to we want to be understood and we want to be respected. And as long as we re- recognize that, that's irrelevant of culture, of race, of you know, that, at our base, that is what we want to do as human beings. So if we always seek to understand, then we can find common ground because it's okay to disagree, but never to disrespect. Ooh. And I think if we can get to that understanding, which is, you know, I'm seeking to understand your point of view. And um, I use this with clients all the time so if I were to hold that book up and say there is nothing written on the cover would you say I'm right or I'm wrong it's your perspective exactly because from the side that I'm looking at there's nothing on it just because I'm right right. wrong and just because you're right doesn't make me wrong right the fact is we're looking at things from an opposite side and we live in a world of polarity for every up there's a down for every left there's a right so whatever our opinion is there is the alternate opinion. And if we always seek to understand it, then what we're doing is we're seeking to see the full picture because they say, you know, there's always three sides to the story, my side, your side and reality. And that's not because we're liars. It's Mm. because we are designed to filter out things that are not important to us. Our subconscious brain deals with millions and millions of things and it filters out things. It's like, yeah, she's not really interested in that. So Mm. even if we were to describe this conversation, We'll describe it slightly differently because we will have picked up things that hit our value set or they hit our um, passion, they hit our drive in a different way. So they'll be the things we take away from it, which is why when you go back and listen to a conversation again or you reread a book or you rewatch a film, you see something you didn't see the first time. Yes. Absolutely. I was just, uh, what I'm doing over here, just so you know, is normally I can put all the comments over here. Like people are sitting there saying, Hey Cam and everything. So I'm, I'm looking at the monitoring the comments on my iPad and was like, liking them and trying to do that stuff. But no, I mean, you know, literally hearing you talk and I said this before, and it's not even crazy hearing you talk is like hearing you hearing my brain communicate in a really beautiful accent. 
and a really beautiful voice. You know, it's like when you said, seek first to understand, that's been one of the most paramount lessons I've learned from Stephen Covey reading that book and going, wow. And watching my mom so unsuccessfully throughout her life barge through and try to demand and, and get angry and try to control everything and die miserably versus the fact that when you seek first to understand, you know, your perception, your assumption, your expectation, your your version of the situation is not even the truth. Like you said, even the, when you said that, there's, there's three sides of the truth, yours, mine, and whoever's. Um, so I think that's absolutely just powerful. And I hope you guys have all gotten that from Kim. Um, so in the interest of time and respecting your time, Kim, I'm going to invite you back on the show here publicly. Will you come back on the show again in the future? Oh, bless you. I would love to, if you're happy to have my, the ramblings of my crazy brain, I would love to be here. Well, no, because it, I mean, that's the thing that's, we, we, we've talked kind of about it in a, in a little bit. We're all unique people and there's 7 billion people on the planet. And so I'm constantly telling people, rock your freak flag, be who you're going to be like me, Ron unscripted bandana yeah. guy who swears, you know, just be, I mean, we're here for a nanosecond. You got to be you, um, and be able to rock that stuff. And you're going to find people that are going to be in your tribe. They're going to dig that. But I just really, really resonate with everything you said. Um, I could literally have a four hour show with you based on your, your, your past and based on everything you've done in your life to achieve where it is that you achieved for the reasons why you're achieving and you do them for your daughter, you do, do them for yourself, you do them for the legacy that you're going to leave and what you've overcome and the person you are sitting here in front of me today, I just have massive respect and appreciation and love for. Um, I look forward to more conversations. Where can people get a hold of you to continue the conversations? Because I've got lots of people over here commenting and you can go back after, I'll send you the link, you can comment afterwards, but people are really digging everything you're saying. So thank you oh, so much for you. doing that. But where can they get a hold of you? Um, yeah, so I you can either get me direct at um, www.kimadel.org or I'm on most social media as Kimadel10 or I'm on LinkedIn as Kimadel Platts. And I would love to chat to anybody if I can be of any help. I think that's what we're here to do. We're here to serve. Yes, yes. Say that again one more time because you talk really fast. And I thought I had it in my thing to put up on the screen, but I apologize I didn't. All right. Uh, so it's www.kimadel.org um, or it's Kimadel10 on most social media and Kim Adele Platts on LinkedIn. Awesome. Awesome. And I'll make sure those are in the comments afterwards. Kim, thank you so much. I'm going to put you backstage here for a second and close out the show. And then I'll catch up with you in just a minute so you can see what I'm saying. But bravo, bravo. Thank you for being here at three o'clock in the morning from the UK. That says a lot. I appreciate it. Um, and so just hang on one second and we'll talk just a little bit more. But uh, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, 53 minutes of 57 seconds of brilliance. And that's just her. That's just her. I seriously, seriously hope, and I really hope, and I'm going to set this out as a, as a, as a challenge to you guys, whenever you're watching my shows or watching any show or listening to any podcast or reading any book, seriously, just invest in yourself and get a little pad of paper and jot down some notes, just literally jot down, jot down some notes because it's one thing to hear the information. It's one thing to go, Oh man, that makes sense. And we do, I do it all the time too. But when I sit there and I write down a note and I'm like, then just spend five minutes thinking about that. How can I apply that? golden nugget that Kim just shared or Chris just shared or whoever just shared, how can I apply that golden nugget as soon as possible? So I've just learned something valuable from somebody who has experienced some of the same things that I've experienced and is now experiencing the things I want to experience. Might I take a few minutes and write down some of those suggestions and actually implement them, actually just sit down and make a, a cognitive plan to implement three things out of this particular interview. Can you do that? What's amazing is most of us don't. And I raise my hand. I've done it too. I'm like, oh man, that was a good one. I'm going to remember that one. And it's like, what did that guy say? So really, really from this point forward in 2021, take a, take time to write things down, write, write things down what you want, write down the whys of what you want them and really ask yourself, what is your best? That's one thing I put to Kim and asking her what her best is. 
you know, what is your best? What is it you're really, really ready to do and commit to in 2021 to get different results? Dr. Wayne Dyer says all the time, if you continue to do what you've always done, you'll continue to get what you've always got. And so my message to you guys really this at the start of the year is listen to what Kim said. I mean, Kim has been through hell and back. I've been through hell and back. You've probably been through hell and back. But again, what's the perspective? What's the what's the expectation? Is the expectation like, oh man, there it is again. Oh, something else bad is happening to me. What am I going to do? Hey, Sally, what am I going to do? What are you going to do? Oh, you're miserable too? Oh, let's call Janet. Oh, Janet, you're miserable too. What are we going to do? Oh, everybody else should fix it. Fuck. Uh, I'm going to watch Netflix for 40 hours. You know, don't do that shit. You know, if you got a situation, you got a problem, you got something that's pissing you off, you're not happy. Guess what? Look in the accountability mirror. Um, uh, Kim was talking about that as well. You know, putting her mascara on, um, you know, look at the accountability mirror. That's what I got. That's what I call it. You guys always hear me talk about it. Look at the accountability mirror and say, what is my best? What am I doing? Am I happy? Am I making the decisions that support the legacy I want to leave? And seriously, just tell yourself to shut the fuck up and do it. Get out of your own way. Ladies and gentlemen, there's so many people I've talked to in 2020 who are, I'm like, what is holding you back? Me? What do you expect to change? I don't know. You expect to be miserable for the rest of your life? I hope not. Don't be one of those people, please, please. Misfits for life, kick-ass nation, please rise up, stand up, invest in yourself. Make sure you're taking care of yourself. You guys know if you've been paying attention to my Facebook post, I'm on a health kick. I'm on a, on a new lifestyle kick, I should say. Um, and, and I'm taking people through that journey on Instagram. I'm doing a reel every day and just showing what it is. So number one, take care of yourself, hydrate, eat right, get some proper sleep, exercise, have your goals written down. Life is simple, ladies and gentlemen. Don't over fucking complicate it. Quit blaming everybody else. Realize that life has happened for you and not to you. And listen to this interview again and go back and write down some nuggets that Kim dropped because she's an excellent, excellent example of what it takes to get through, to power through, and to still hold your head up high and maintain your integrity. So I love you guys. Please, as always, send me messages, uh, private messages of what topics you want to see on the show. Of course, we have so many exciting things coming up. And if you're interested still in the coaching sessions that I'm offering, I'm still doing complimentary, just my way of paying it forward and giving back. So if you're interested in having a strategy session with myself, um, please hit me up on the private message. I'll send you my calendar. We'll make it happen. 2021 is your year. It's my year. Let's make it happen. All right. Stay kick-ass and classy. I love you guys. I appreciate every single one of you from the bottom of my heart. I'm sorry I couldn't put your comments up here. Uh, Colleen, Durlov, Robert, um, Pamela, thank you for being here. Scott for being here. Robert for being here, Larry for being here, Stacy for being here. Oh, I'm so bummed I couldn't put your comments up there. Teresa for being here. You guys are all, Angel for being here. You guys are all super misfits for life. I love you to death. I love you to pieces. And uh, we'll see you next time, next week, Tuesday nights, 7 p.m. We'll see you. Stay kick ass and class.